This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Uh, Put your headphones on. Yeah, what's your um, Wi-Fi? I'm just thinking ahead. <laughs> uh, it's complicated. I'll get it to you in a minute. Why don't oh, you gosh. do one thing at a time here? Got a niner. Okay. <laughs> it's got a niner in it. Uh, so, yeah, what's what's going on with this? Okay, so uh, I'm out of the office this week. Okay. Not recording an episode of Cultivated. And so my two friends... My best friends, one of whom is my wife. Who's 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 your best? <laughs> who's better? I think we know the answer to that. <laughs> I know which one of the two of you I like the least, <laughs> especially because you made us wait fifteen minutes. Can I do this? Because you had a phone call. Should I move this? You're fine. Okay. That sounds good. Oh my okay. Gosh. So you guys are here. This is Lachlan Coffee and Sarah Cosper, my wife, and they wanted to stop in and encourage you folks to listen to previous episodes of Cultivated if you haven't heard them yet. And they wanted to share some of their favorite moments. Who wants to go first? (laughs) (laughs) I I am a huge fan of Cultivated and all that's occurring here. Um, The the very first thing that is on the top of my mind is the Brett Lott episode, because I think it frames up so well what Cultivated is attempting to do, which he he's an author and what he won the Oprah Award? What is that? I don't think that's a thing. He was uh, he was on Oprah's book club. He yes, a selection for her book club. He's and, one of my favorites. And his book yeah. became an international bestseller. And yeah, fantastic guy. And uh, the interview is so interesting because we live in the phrase that I'm hearing again and again is we live in a post Christian world. And you asked him from a literary standpoint um, as an author, does he feel that tension as a Christian? Um, author. I'm not going to go into details, but I've, I've had things happen where because I'm a Christian, I'm distrusted. And the, the whole idea of academia is this. You're the smartest guy in the room. And you went to college, man. You got your bachelor's, you got your MA, you got your PhD. You are the man. You're the king of uh, the particular little quadrant of the universe that you've mapped out and want to be the king of. And so you have a whole, man, I'm getting in trouble for saying this, you know, but, but you have a whole campus full of kings marching around. And my king is not me, and that bothers people because what it says to you, who are saying you're the king, is you know what I don't believe you're the king either, and that and it really you know makes some people angry. So there there is that. Now, on the other hand, I have not had many problems because and I don't know how this is going to sound, but if you have the chops, if you do what you do well, and for me I don't do it for my glory, I do it for the glory of God, but I do a good job doing what I do then you have the chops, and then you have a kind of respect that people will have. But if you hide behind being a Christian as your, you know, why I'm getting, you know, not getting tenure or I'm not, I'm not getting published in that journal or this sort of thing, uh, then you've got a problem on your hands. Which is why, you know, I'm going to be in all kinds of trouble, but, you know, it's trouble for the Lord. I don't care. <laughs> but, uh, but um, 
a lot of people grouse about Christian writing who are Christians who don't get the, you know, the notoriety or the publish, publishing in there. People who, who blame you know, their lack of success on the world being against Christians. What people aren't recognizing is you're not doing it well enough. Which goes so well with something that you say often, Mike, which is Christians should work in a way that if they were to be removed from the world altogether, there would be an obvious void. Brett Law was one of the first one that came to my mind, too. And I love how he talked about his routine and his ritual and how important that is. Kind of like he has almost a liturgy of what he does to prepare to write. I have a very definite routine. I have to be wearing my pajamas, which is basketball shorts and a t-shirt. I have to be wearing my smart wool socks. I get up, I make my pot of coffee and take it upstairs, and then I, I spend time first praying, and then I sit down and go through what I've written the day before. I put on my headphones, I listen to music. Each book that I write has a kind of soundtrack to it. It's a different collection of tunes that I play relentlessly. By the time I'm done with a novel, I will have listened to, you know, had a little playlist. How many times you've listened to this? It's like 989 times. And then while I'm doing that, I'm going through what I've written the day before. And then, you know, kind of ease into the language, getting into the story and seeing what's happening. I think um, Jackie Hill Perry and Sandra McCracken, I liked hearing from them and how they create things and how being a mother didn't stunt them in that, didn't take anything away, but actually made them um, more aware of, you know, God's love and how they can make more art because they they got got to be a mom. And, and um, Mike, you say with Sandra about how culture like likes to take that away and likes to say that, you know, you're, you have to put everything aside and... Um, those two conversations meant a lot to me because of that. After I had children, so my kids are seven and nine, that actually was a very fruitful time musically as well. Like I think that those years that I thought, oh, I'm just gonna be, you know, doing laundry and piles of dishes. It's like, it was that, but there were also songs coming left and right. And I didn't tour as much. So there was different modes of of output and input, but since that time, I think the creativity has continued to increase. And as a woman, that feels really significant to know that even when you give yourself to the art of caregiving in a way that being a mother does, you know, it's it's not something to be afraid of, but it actually causes multiplication of your heart. And it's like this, is it in Isaiah where it says, um, widen the, the stakes of your tent, you know, like make more room because God is gonna fill it. And I think in a sense, when we give ourselves to love and, and we say yes to self-sacrifice in those ways, we end up receiving a lot in the process, which is counterintuitive. Yeah, that's, that's what I was just gonna say. It's really counterintuitive because even just sort of the cultural narrative of, you know, you have kids and your life is over. Yeah. You have kids and they're all consuming and you don't have time for anything anymore. Yeah. Um, but for you, you didn't experience it that way. There's fatigue and there's a, you know, there's a more of an urgency. So if I have an idea, I got to find a little window to chase it down. And that's harder to do with two young children. But it does, it kind of invites them into it as well. And it probably keeps me from being as codependent a mother as I would naturally be. Because there's not just complete preoccupation with one thing, whether it's the music or the family. It's like you just can't control it all. So you have to kind of learn to play and learn to be present in it, you know, with what you're given. I felt the same. I'm related as a mom. <laughs> <laughs> 
just from a mom perspective. It's pretty sure you're going to say that. <laughs> That's how long we've all known each other. That's right. We knew that joke was coming. <laughs> Saw it like a train. I remember just some moments that I really enjoyed that weren't necessarily like thought provoking, but just like I laughed or I really connected with or um, whether it was, did you, do you remember uh, when the attorney general Gonzalez shared about the 9-11 story and where he was? It was insane. Where were you on 9-11? I gave a speech. I was in Norfolk, Virginia. I flew out of Dulles Airport about 7.30 that morning to give that speech. And that's the same airport that American 77 flew out of, which is the airplane that crashed into the Pentagon. That plane took off within an hour of my plane, so I was in the terminal at the same time as the terrorists, and I've often wondered whether, you know, that our paths cross, that our eyes meet. So I get to the I get to the hotel in Norfolk where I'm speaking, and the first tower's already been hit, so I get on the phone with my deputy who's in the Situation Room, and we weren't quite sure what was happening. And then I finished my speech, and by that time the second tower's been hit, and we know we're under attack. And so I spend the day trying to get back to the White House. Mm. By the time I got to the airport, they had shut it down, so I'm stranded, and I was traveling with one of my my lawyers, and we ran into a naval officer from Norfolk Naval Station who gave us a ride to the naval station. I went to the base commander and showed my credentials and said, can you help us get back to Washington? And we waited for several hours just watching TV like everyone else. Our communications were spotty at best, which is kind of frightening. Obviously, it's a lot better today, but we realized we had some serious challenges with respect to communications. And finally, the Navy got clearance to fly me back in a Navy helicopter. So they flew me to Andrews Air Force Base, which is where they hangar Air Force One. And then there was a White House fan waiting for me, and they took me to the White House. And I went to the, there's a bunker in the east wing of the White House where Cheney was at and other senior members of the administration. And so I went there and I spent the rest of the day just going back and forth to the Situation Room, to my office on the second floor of the West Wing, to that bunker, just making sure all the legal issues were being addressed. And then about 7 o'clock, I got word that President Bush was coming home. He had began that day in Florida. When I'm asked, I'm often asked, of all the things you've done, what stands out the most? And it is standing on the Oval Office porch the evening of 9-11 and watching Marine One bring President Bush home that day. I'll never forget that. It was such a historic day. And And here's the Commander-in-Chief coming home, and this is someone that I've known from our days in Texas, and I was very, very curious about what I would see in his face. And uh, as as soon as I saw him, I I knew we were going to be okay. I mean, he was Mm -hmm. determined. I couldn't see anger, but I I know he was very, he was mad, and we set to work doing what had to be done to protect our country. It's just amazing to have a guest like that on the podcast, and then to hear him recount where he was and how, and watching... uh, President Bush's face as President Bush uh, walked off the chopper, the plane. Uh, chopper. <laughs> the, the chopper. Thanks, Arnold. Get to the chopper. <laughs> but seeing President Bush walk walk out and uh, Attorney General Gonzalez kind of judge how his face was. I think so many people in our age, give or take 20 years, it was such a pivotal day, especially we were all about 19 or 20 when it happened. And um, the three of us, I mean, not everyone that listens to the podcast. (laughs) Um, But, you know, to have that episode, and then I think the week later we had Melanie, you had Melanie Penn on, who's a friend of ours, but she talks about how her mom was like calling because she 
was supposed to be at work exactly across the road from um, from where the planes hit. And so I don't know, it was just really, because that's such a pivotal moment for so many of us to hear two accounts from people who had such a personal, like they were right there. I uh, also was thinking back on episodes and I, I, one of the best laughs that I had in the whole cultivated spent well we're on the third season right now yeah. is Alyssa Wilkinson's interview mm-hmm. and she makes a reference to the cinematic universe of God's Not Dead <laughs> and I was cracking up God's Not Dead for instance as a film or as a franchise as it's becoming the God's Not Dead cinematic universe in that cinematic universe um, atheists are hateful always Christians are not always and Um, You know, in the first film, spoiler alert, they literally kill the antagonist at the end of the film. It's like a revenge fantasy, right? Um, These are these are films that are political and not not big P, but little P about our team winning and the other team losing. Um, And I think that shapes our imaginations in really dangerous ways. Like the atheists are killed at the end. Right. the main protagonist? The, the main, no, antagonist. Or antagonist. Uh, Pro's good, anti's bad. Okay, pro. Oh, I think I've made some bad decisions. <laughs> That's certain. <laughs> but they're killed at the end, almost like a revenge fantasy yeah. Uh, yeah. movie. And I, I just thought that was hilarious to no. think about the cinematic universe. Because what, there's like three of these? I don't know. Right. Um, All right, so we've got a week until the next show comes out. If you're going to recommend just one, your number one, go listen to this one. What is it? There's four. <laughs> <laughs> so some people might be driving and need um, two people to listen to. Um, start with Andy Crouch, which is the end of season two. No, end of season one. And that one like covers so many things. And then listen to Steve Taylor, which is another two episode. And... It kind of shows you the vast majority of, or, or you know, unco- encompasses all, all that I think cultivated is. So it's technically two people. <laughs> it's just four episodes. Oh, okay. I, I got lost in the math on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Want me to draw it out for you? <laughs> me, me, me do counting. Uh, <laughs> I will. Uh, I will whiteboard this for you after we're done, so you know how that was for. Well, if she gets two, I'll I'll throw out two. The first one is. Show Baraka, I think, is a fascinating episode because one, it goes through some controversies of his life. It goes through how his uh, how he creates, and then also his music is so good. And I had never heard it before. Cultivated. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man. You know, like I, you know, I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment. In the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants, it's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove, tell me, can yeah. it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fame. Oh, yeah. I kidnapped greatness and left no ransom. I'm the grandson of Muhammad Ali, but more handsome. And it is really, really intelligent music. Very... It's, it's just really cool music. And then also... Um, that was really articulate. The way you were just like, it was really good. Sorry. It was really, really good. <laughs> it was really very good. It was so cool. Have you seen the one... Guys, this is so cool. 
have you seen the movie with is it Vigo Mortensen? Is that uh-huh. his name? The- Mortensen. Mortensen. <laughs> he goes to Thorntons. Uh, Vigo Mortensen has his family in the woods, and he's like raising his kids in the woods. Have it's you like seen Captain this? something? Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't seen it. One of the the things is like they all have to do book reviews, and one of the kids is like that was a re- my. Favorite chapter, and he says why, and, he's, and she said, <laughs> and he says, he says, the kid says it's it's an amazing chapter, and he like says amazing is not a descriptor or whatever. The story is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> this is a great, this is a great podcast. Self esteem. This is a great podcast. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's so glad they're listening right now. <laughs> I, it was a good story until <laughs> until you told it. Until I told it. <laughs> Is he on the? Is he not on the podcast? He's not on the podcast, so that one doesn't count. <laughs> is this live? I'm gonna have to beep out your swearing. All right, go ahead. What's the other one? <laughs> You're not gonna put this in here. <laughs> oh no, that's in there. Okay. So we'll Show Baraka and the other one would be that Brett Lott episode because mm-hmm. I think it does a, a great job at uh, encapsulating what Cultivated is doing. So right. I would definitely encourage that. Great, thanks for coming by. Thanks for sharing. I agree. Everybody should go listen to Brett Lott. You should go buy one of his books. Go get The Hunt Club. It's really good. We'll see you next week. Also, can we talk about how um, on our wedding day you guys were at, what's it called? Mr. Gaddy's? <laughs> Gaddyland? Yeah, we did. We got to Gaddyland and we, we was, beat Jurassic Park. I was printing out the papers. You ate Long John Silver's on our wedding day, too. <laughs> I was buying lipstick and toothpaste and printing out our... This is tomato tomatoes, <laughs> isn't it? it was, it was just... what's, what's it called? The the paper that you hand out at your Bulletin. wedding? Yeah, and that's what I was doing, and I had to call you and ask how to spell someone's name. And we were probably like, stop calling them, we're trying to shoot the dinosaur. It's the T-Rex. Oh, man. We beat it. We beat it. We need to do that again. Then you got married. And And then then we had so many breadsticks (laughs) and cardboard pizza. All right. See you next week. First he sings, and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. Big thanks to Lachlan and Sarah for making time to come in and share their favorite episodes. Really want to encourage you, go back and listen to the others. If you haven't, you've got time this week because we don't have one this week. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by me. Our music, as always, is by Dan Phelps. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. Go to the website, sign up for our newsletter. It comes out every week with a column by me and interesting links. And stay tuned. We'll be back in one week with a new episode. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.